right. My name is Don Johnson. This is episode three of the podcast for all time. It is Monday, January 3rd at 12.46 p.m. And I am reading this to you right now. This is from the, what used to be called the Fort Myers News Press. It is now the News Press serving Cape Coral, North Fort Myers, Fort Myers, Lehigh, Estero, and Benita. Although I would also say that it includes like Naples, North Naples anyway. Noah's Ark-like rescue aims to preserve Florida's corals. There's an inset picture below. That's the cover story. Uh, SeaWorld coral biologist Aaron Gavin feeds krill to coral at the Florida Coral Rescue Center in Orlando on December 7th. Center scientists work to safeguard genetics. This is by Kimberly Miller of the Palm Beach Post. Uh, it's part of the USA Today Network. That the, US, the, the news press is as a Gannett paper. In a drab Orlando industrial park behind a string of car dealerships, a Noah's Ark-like structure is underway to safeguard Florida's coral from annihilation. Under the doting care of scientists at the Florida Coral Rescue Center are 683 colonies chiseled out of harm's way ahead of a racing scourge of stony coral tissue loss disease. The loathsome killer of the ocean's most precious living gems was discovered in 2014 and has decimated Florida's reef, tracked as far as the dry tortugas with a 90% mortality rate. The dry tortugas are located about 45, 50 miles south and west of Key West. So they're like, it's like the key that's like completely far, too far to be like connected to the keys, essentially. Uh, the coral center located in a back bay of the Orangewood Business Park accepted its first coral refugees in March 2020 with a goal to protect the reef builder's genetic diversity. It's a novel undertaking in its breadth and swift mobilization, which included multiple federal, state, and private entities rallying to salvage what coral they could. This was a case study in crisis response that moved very quickly, said Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission South Region Director Thomas Reinert. It was an amazing collaborative effort. Quote, About 30% of the corals rescued are housed at the center in Orlando, with 25 other aquariums, zoos, and universities from Nashville to New Hampshire caring for smaller collections. Four SeaWorld Orlando biologists care for the 18 species of coral at the center, awash in an ultraviolet light that casts a sci-fi blue hue throughout the bay. They hand-fed Droppers of krill to the hungry coral provide snacks of oyster eggs and monitor the water chemistry, plumbing, and temperature of its 16,300-gallon tanks. No, the temperature of its 16,300-gallon tanks. Two additional tanks are 100 gallons each. We knew that this is all groundbreaking work, said SeaWorld coralogist Aaron Ga Gavin, noting that some of the coral species hadn't been held in captivity before and are not common in hobbyist aquariums. I might do something today that's never been done before, and that's very exciting, he said. There's also a level of stress involved, considering they are shepherding the genetic bank of the Florida Reef Tract that they've... the Florida Reef Tract. They've learned some corals have their own eccentricities, like wanting to be fed in the dark. So the biologists dim headlamps and feed them in the facility they like to call the Coral Club Med. Only two corals at the facility have perished. 
There's definitely pressure to keep them healthy, said SeaWorld coral biologist Sarah Spangler. It was a lot of... <laughs> it was a lot of babying them in the beginning, she said. The center's corals include star, flower, cactus, and four species of brain coral, all stony corals with limestone skeletons that are the building blocks for reefs. Wildlife officials created a Florida coral rescue team in the summer of 2018, realizing they need to remove healthy corals before they were infected by the advancing line of tissue loss disease. The plan included collecting and caring for 22 species of coral in the hopes of restoring the Florida reef tract in the future. The Association of Zoos and Aquariums helps oversee the project, which includes the FWC and NOAA Fisheries, SeaWorld, and the Disney Conservation Fund, and the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida. It was lucky. It was a lucky coincidence that a bay used by a private coral company came available at the industrial park, complete with equipment that the foundation purchased with donated money. Wow. The element of anonymity, there's no sign of heralding the Florida Coral Rescue Center, helps to protect the investment. The center is also not open to the public, so there's no need to advertise. It took about four months to get the facility ready to start accepting corals in the spring of 2020, said Andrew Walker, president and CEO of the Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Walker called the project daring and unprecedented. Globally, I believe the era of completely self-sustaining coral reefs is largely over, particularly with climate change and coral bleaching occurring increasingly and frequently, as well as local problems of salation direct reef damage, pollution, and other stresses, Walker said. Each coral at the rescue center sits on its own terracotta tile. Some are growing so fast that they're overwhelmed their original tiles and are getting new ones. Justin Zimmerman, aquarium supervisor for SeaWorld Orlando, said that the growth spurts were unprecedented, but they don't know if the corals are just thriving or, if the pampered or in the pampered environment or would grow similarly in the wild if stony coral tissue loss disease wasn't so prevalent. Scientists are still trying to determine the cause of the disease, which spread quickly following its initial identification in 2014 at Virginia Key near Miami. By the summer of 2016, it had reached Palm Beach County and was well past Key West in 2019. Corals throughout the Caribbean are also suffering from the plague. This suffer, the center hopes to get the corals to spawn, a tricky endeavor that includes mimicking the amount of light they would need that they would get naturally in the keys as the seasons change. Once the disease goes through, they're going to need a lot of baby coral, Zimmerman said. Kimberly Miller is a veteran journalist for the Palm Beach Post, part of the USA Today Network of Florida. She covers weather, climate, and the environment. I would say, as someone who used to dive in the keys as a young person, that the corals even then were looking sort of like a skeleton of what used to exist and i haven't been down there in a while underwater looking around but i can only imagine that if this is necessary that it must be quite shocking to someone who had seen it over time yeah that's what's up down here let's think about what's up somewhere else and today we're going to take another trip to new york city 
and we're going to talk about how the city is taking care of its coronavirus um, issues. But today we're going to look at a layer that I don't think anyone has looked at before. The Post looked at it uh, on Sunday, January 2nd, 2022, by Melissa Klein. I'm going to start with the, the headline, High Life at the Corona Inn. And there's an inset photo here of the place uh, with a caption, Bake Up Call. Jonathan Martin enjoys a sanctioned break at the LaGuardia Plaza Hotel, where nurses keep track of guests' pot stashes. New York City's COVID-19 quarantine hotels are dope. Anyone saying... <laughs> excuse me anyone staying at taxpayer expense at one of the city's quarantine hotels is welcome to bring their weed which an on-staff nurse will bag weigh and distribute for sanctioned smoke breaks the lodgings are meant to give new yorkers a place to recuperate from the coronavirus without sickening family or roommates or to stay safe from infection the city launched the program with the start of the pandemic in 2020 to help stop the spread of the virus when the Post visited the LaGuardia Plaza Hotel in East Elmhurst, Queens on Thursday, one guest was just outside the entrance puffing on a bong as staff kept an eye on him from the lobby. Jonathan Martin, 21, who held the orange traffic cone-shaped bong, said he was asked whether he had any pot when he arrived at the hotel on Christmas Day. He said staff put his stash in a plastic bag and took it from him, handing it back to smoke during three designated 15-minute outdoor breaks in the day. They allow you to bring your marijuana to quarantine with you, but that they but they don't let you bring alcohol, said Martin, a coffee shop manager who is from Astoria and was staying in the hotel as to not infect his roommates. He said a staffer scrutinized his bottle of pomegranate juice to make sure it was sealed and didn't contain booze. Martin said he was grateful he could still smoke. It's nice to relax when I'm stuck in a room by myself for five days, he said. The East Elmhurst Hotel is run by the city's Test and Trace Corps, part of the public's the public NYC part of the public NYC Health plus Hospitals system. I'm assuming that's health and hospital system. The city did not divulge the cost of the program. An insider said about 65% of the 420 or so guests at the hotel and at a nearby Holiday Inn were pot smokers. Now, that 420 number was clearly, <laughs> if not a joke, an incredible coincidence. The source said nurses had to weigh the pot after some guests claimed their weed was stolen from the holding area, which is monitored by nurses and site directors. The nurses have to accompany smokers on their breaks. I think it's a shame nurses go into the field to care for patients. This is not care. Rather than offer patients help for their addictions, it's being supported, the insider said, who was so afraid to reveal their name. <laughs> These horrible crimes being committed. Nurses at the hotel checked the air temperatures and oxygen saturation levels of guests during the day. There were 732 calls to 911 for LaGuardia Plaza from January 1st, 2021 through Thursday, including 694 for an ambulance, 14 for disputes, and 10 for larcenies. I would say that's pretty good for your average hotel, quite honestly. Especially one can, like that's been turned into a ward for potentially ill people. One recent LaGuardia Plaza guest wrote 
in a complaint, a copy of which has been obtained. In fact, I would say that's less than your average Walmart. A copy of which has been obtained by the Post that the city sent her home in a car with another recovering COVID-19 patient who refused to wear his mask properly and still seemed to have symptoms. The woman said she did not leave her room for fresh air breaks during her stay because the elevators were always crowded with other patients. It really felt more like Corona Jail than a health facility, she wrote. Adam Schreier, a spokesman for the Test and Trace Corps, said, We are proud that our hotels have provided a safe place to isolate and quarantine nearly 30,000 New Yorkers to date and will continue to offer this crucial tool for as long as the pandemic continues. Psychic friends call on New Year. This is just on the opposing page, uh, Sunday's post. Big Apple soothsayers gave the skinny on 2022 to the post Dean Balsamini, who challenged the talented tellers to reveal the future on issues of critical importance to our insatiable readership, like UFOs and the Jets. Post. UFOs, when will they land and what will the aliens look like? And, <laughs> and when will they want to eat us? Highbridge, Bronx, Clairvoyant, Yolanda, Shoshana. UFOs will land in Times Square in November, around the Thanksgiving. The UFOs will resemble a Krispy Kreme donut. The invaders aren't going to eat us, but do plan to pick out for some family style at Carmine's. Post. Inflation. By year's end, which of these items will be the most expensive? A bagel with locks? A 12-ounce bottle of maple syrup? A 2022 Chevrolet Spark? Shoshana says, A bagel and locks at a luxury hotel will give that spark a run for its money. But you will still need to bank a few more bucks for the wheels. Post. Will Natalie Wood's murder be solved? Soho Clairvoyant, Elaine Nicholas, 73. They couldn't find out the first or third or fifth year. They're not going to find out now. <laughs> Post. Which New York sports team will have the best season this year? Shoshana. The Mets will be the toast of the town with 92 wins, but things will fall apart in the playoffs. The Jets will stay pathetic. But win six games. It's a start. Post. Will the feds find a hidden fortune belonging to Glenn Maxwell? West Village astrologer Karen Thorne, 76. Yes! The money will be found stashed in vaults under Gucci's in Rome. Post. What's in store for former Don President Donald Trump? Shoshana. He will make a big announcement in March. He's on a new vegan diet and is coming out with a new vegan cookbook. <clears throat> all right all right one more thing out of new york city and then we'll move on eric's on the job training <laughs> i'll just read the inset uh the inset caption here on these uh photos 
It's pictures of uh, Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams. Mayor Adams, during taking the Jade train to work on his first day as mayor on Saturday, personally phoned 911 to report a brawl above. It's two guys fighting in Bushwick and chatted with a man lying on a seat on the subway car below by Julia Marsh and Melissa Klein. Same day, same post. Mayor Adams hit the ground running on Saturday in his first day in office, encountering firsthand Gotham's plague of crime and homelessness and placing a call to 911 himself after he witnessed an assault. Adams began his day with an early and action-packed subway ride to City Hall from Brooklyn, surrounded by reporters, but no visible security detail. He chatted with a seemingly mentally ill rider who ranted and raved while a homeless man sprawled out asleep on the seats. When I talk about the homelessness problem in the transit system, it's not a theoretical problem. I'm seeing it, he said. Before his honor was even able to board the J train from the Kashuko Street Station in Bushwick, fuck that up, Adams, a former cop, spotted trouble. Three men squabbling with one another on the street below. Once a transit cop, always a transit cop, Adams said, as he kept an eye on the men. When punches were thrown, he knew what to do. Here we go. I knew it was always only a matter of time. That's why I kept looking at it, Adams, did not initially identify himself as the mayor. I have an assault in progress of three males, he said, repeating it for the operator, who seemed to misunderstand him. No, assault in progress, not past assault. They are fighting each other on the street right now. At the end of the call, he told the operator that he was Adams, Mayor Adams. As Adams watched, cops arrived and did not question the men who were leaving in a car. Adams said that they should have made inquiries, that, they, that he would talk to the officers about it as a teachable moment. And I'm not going to read the rest of the article because you can imagine the direction that goes. But here's something I would love to read about on the next page. This mayor is out too. Coney Big, nonprofit fired me by Rich Calder. His life's no longer a beach. Self-proclaimed mayor of Coney Island, Dick Ziggin, says he has been sent to sleep with the fishes by the nonprofit he co-founded that runs the Mermaid Parade, the Coney Island Museum, and its famed circus sideshows. Ziggin, 68, who is credited with raising the profile of the seaside destination, broke the titanic news December 25th on Twitter that he had been axed as artistic director of Coney Island USA, which he had helped create in 1980. His replacement, a professional strongman who also swallowed swords. I was fired for Christmas, effective December 31st, Ziggin wrote. Locks have been changed. Might have more to say next week. For more than four decades, Ziggin battled developers, lobbied City Hall to revive the Brooklyn Amusement District, and banged a bass, a bass drum at the head of the annual Mermaid Parade in a top hat, an antique wool bathing suit, and a sash with Mayor written on it. But he and nonprofit and the nonprofit, have been battling since last January when Ziggin asserted that he, and not Coney Island USA, owned the rights to the parade and the circus sideshow, according to the group's board of directors. Ziggin earned $66,528 as artistic director in 2019, Coney Island USA's most recent tax filing show. 
The board posted a rebuttal to Ziggin last Monday, claiming he was technically fired and called his posting a shameless bid for sympathy. Though attempts were made to resolve the matter, Dick stuck to his claims, the statement said. The conflict of interest festered and hampered Coney Island USA's operations. Ziggin in 2018 requested, in quotes, a transition to new leadership and supported hiring strongman slash sword swallower Adam Realman Rin as his replacement, the director said. Ziggin said his work in Coney Island is not done, hinting he may be involved, in quotes, in a planned expansion of Luna Park and a reality TV show. I am fired, so I need a job, he told the Post. But I'll always be the permanently unelected mayor of Coney Island. I will continue to dress the way I dress and behave the way I behave. Hmm. All right. I think it's enough of the Post for today, especially considering it's, what, Sunday's Post? All right, now here's something I have a prepared for you. Um, this is a very uh, this is a story I feel like only I could cover properly, but that's not true at all. But this is a story I think that um, very few people could cover properly, and even the paper that's reporting it is not covering it properly, even though they have themselves reported the accessory stories to this story that would make it interesting. Okay. Apple tracking tag fuels fears over being stalked. This is by Ryan Mack in Kashmir Hill in uh, Saturday, January 1st, business section, New York Times, bottom front half of the section. On a Sunday night in September, Ashley Estrada was at a friend's home in Los Angeles when she received a strange notification on her iPhone. AirTag detected near you. An AirTag is a 1.26-inch disc with location tra tracking capabilities that Apple started selling earlier this year as a way to keep track of your stuff. Ms. Estrada, 24, did not own one, nor did the friends she was with. The notification on her phone said that the AirTag had first been spotted with her four hours earlier. A map of the AirTag's history showed the zigzagging path Ms. Estrada had driven across the city while running errands. I felt so violated, she said. I just felt like... Who's tracking me? What was their intent with me? It was scary. Ms. Estrada is not alone in her experience. In recent months, people have posted on TikTok, Reddit, and Twitter about finding air tags on their cars and in their belongings. There is growing concern that the devices may be abetting a new form of stalking, which privacy groups predicted could happen when Apple introduced the devices in April. And even I did. I bought them. I remember talking on Twitter about this specifically. And even at the time, I shared an article about how before this, Apple was already ignoring the safety, the, the potential dangers of uh, tracking, like, the privacy measures they had in place for tracking items. Uh, there was recently a story of, so if that was in April, then I bet you somewhere in April or May, maybe somewhere around then, even before these air tags, actually, um, there was an article about a, uh, I don't know, like a real life version of Omar from The Wire, essentially. He was, uh, it was a, a gang of criminals were trying to rip off 
um, what seemed like cartel operatives that were moving cash. They were able to rip off like a quarter of a million dollars or more like in cash. They were eventually able to figure this all out because they took an Apple Watch, attached a battery to it, and strapped it to the bottom side of a car. Were able to track the pickup and drop-off points for cash and were able to actually like wait until the drugs were like out of the picture and then remove the cash from an empty truck while it was parked somewhere. Like, I mean, it's like full-on clandestine intelligence operation level like tracking but through consumer technology and this is another case of it in fact the air tag is even better because it's like a passive device that virtually every iphone will communicate with and at this point the i believe they may even mentioned the end of the article that um the, the apple and google are having talks about basically sharing the technology uh space uh, maybe Google manufactures some of these tags too. The tech works together. I mean, it's based around like NFC and low power Bluetooth and stuff like that. So realistically, the technology is universal. They just have to agree to work together. But having these tags, I mean, the practicality of it is extremely, I mean, you imagine putting one in your luggage when you go traveling, you know, you always know where it is. If they say it's lost and it's in the back room, you can really show them like, hey, it's in the back room. It's really there. These are my things. I have them. Um, I know where they are. But imagine the possibilities for potential good uses it, it's, it is endless and so much as the opposite uses endless um but allow me to continue uh, apple tracking tag fuel stocking fears as some predicted New York Times spoke with seven women who believe they were tracked with air tags, including a 17-year-old whose mother surreptitiously placed one on her car to stay apprised of her whereabouts. Some authorities have begun to take a closer look at the threat posed by air tags. The West Seneca Police Department in New York recently warned its community of the tracking potential of the devices as after an air tag was found on a car bumper. Apple complied with a subpoena for information about the air tag in the case which may lead to charges, the West Seneca police said. And in Canada, a local police department said that it had investigated five episodes of thieves placing air tags on high-end vehicles, quote, high-end vehicles, so they could later locate and steal them. That... <laughs> uh, that's an idea. Researchers now believe air tags, which are equipped with Bluetooth technology, could be revealing a more widespread problem of tech-enabled tracking. Yes, this will never go away. Uh, as much as anyone wants to limit this tech, someone will make an independent tech that will work with an open tech that I guarantee will work with whatever Apple and Google are doing. There will be some open implemented version of it, and I assume that's why Apple, if anything, has been hesitating up to this point with working with Google because they're afraid of... Google's open-ended device policies compared to theirs, which means that there's a lot more potential in the Google framework for abuse of this since they largely use third-party manufacturers for hardware, which means there's a lot more like potential for, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, hacking already, like, you know, you know, uh, living room, bedroom, computer room hacking of the AirTag stuff, and I'm sure intelligence services as well are trying to come up with uses for it, but um, I'm sure plenty have already been implemented. <laughs> in Canada, a local police department said it had investigated five episodes of thieves using air tags in high-placed vehicles. 
Researchers now believe AirTags, which are equipped with Bluetooth technology, could be revealing a more widespread problem of tech-enabled tracking. They emit a digital signal that can be detected by devices running Apple's mobile operating system. Those devices report on where an AirTag has last been seen. Unlike similar tracking products from competitors, such as Tile, Apple added features to prevent abuse. Mm -hmm. Debatable. Including notifications like the ones Mrs. Estrada received and automatic beeping. The plans to release a feature to prevent the tracking of people next year. Uh, the Tile plans to release a feature preventing the tracking of people next year. Yeah, but at this point, uh, Apple is just trying to take over the Tile marketplace, and they will, using their manufacturing. Uh, if, the, if these products remain legal, Tile will basically disappear at some point. Or they'll be the Google... Um, solution the product they'll buy this company and then use them that would be my guess as well but air tags present a uniquely harmful threat because the ubiquity of apple's products allows for monitoring exact monitoring of people's movements said eva galperin a cybersecurity director at the electronic frontier foundation who studies so-called stalkerware apple automatically turned every ios device into part of the network that air tags is the air tags used to report location of an air tag it's true Yes, your phone right now, if you have an Apple product, by default, is already doing this. You don't even have to know. They don't even have to really tell you. The only way you'll even know, I believe, is if it's around for long enough. But if it's only there for a short amount of time, I don't think that it uh, pings you. So, heads up on that fun, invisible information. Um... The network that Apple has access to is larger and more powerful than that used by other trackers. It's more powerful for tracking and more dangerous for stalking. And the reason is because they're, the technology in Apple phones is, is hardly consistent. Um, as soon as they add something, they never take it away. So essentially, as soon as you, as soon as you hit like a, I say the iPhone 8, maybe, whatever the first one to have uh, AirTag uh, like control access and being able to use them, I guarantee that phone is on the network. So. There you go. I mean, it's the same thing as uh, what's the Ring doorbell, uh, Amazon's uh, Wi-Fi, shared Wi-Fi system. It's called, like, Sidewalk. It basically turns your Ring system into, like, open Wi-Fi for this very specific Amazon service called Sidewalk. It's totally – I mean, I don't <laughs> – it's a weird thing to engage with. It's weird that we – I mean, this is this is the ultimate culmination of uh, social media making us feel comfortable with using technology without someone looking over our shoulder or being okay with it anyway. Now we're literally inventing products to track people, and we're like, I don't know, is it okay if like Google is watching me stick this, or Apple's <laughs> watching me stick this tracker to my wife's car so I can find out where she's going during lunch? Like, unbelievable, but uh, completely believable. Apple does not disclose sales figures, but the tiny $29 AirTags have proved popular, selling out consistently since their unveiling. An Apple spokesman, Alex Kirshner, said in a statement that the company took customers safely, quote, very seriously, and was, quote, committed to AirTags' privacy and security, end quote. He said that the small devices had, featured, had features that inform users if an unknown AirTag might be with them that deter bad actors from using an AirTag for nefarious purposes. 
I don't know if anything has truly deterred a bad actor from accomplishing their task if they truly wanted to complete their bad action. But I digress. If users ever feel their safety is at risk, they are encouraged to contact local law enforcement who can work with Apple to provide any available information about the unknown AirTag. Mr. Kirshner said, police could ask Apple to provide the information about the owner of the AirTag, personally identifying the culprit. But some of the people who spoke to the Times were unable to find the associated AirTags they were notified of and said the police did not always take the reports and the notifications on their phones seriously. After a Friday night out with her boyfriend this month, Erica Torres, a graduate music student in New Orleans, was notified by her iPhone that an unknown accessory had been attached, or excuse me, had been detected near her over a two-hour period, moving with her from a bar to her home. She called the police and called Apple, but she never found an AirTag. An Apple representative told her other devices could set off the alert, including AirPods. When Ms. Torres posted a video about her experience to YouTube, a dozen people commented about it happening to them. The number of reports makes me think there must be some sort of glitch that is causing all these people to experience this, Ms. Torres said. I hope they're not all being stalked. They are. Ms. Estrada, who got the notification in Los Angeles, eventually found the quarter-sized tracker lodged in a space behind her lic the license plate of her 2020 Dodge Charger. She posted a video of her deal on TikTok, and it went viral. Apple probably released this product with the intent to do good, but this shows that the technology can be used for good and bad purposes, Ms. Estrada said. Continuing, Ms. Estrada said that she was told by a Los Angeles police dispatcher that her situation was a non-emergency, and that if she wanted to file a report, she would have to bring the device with her to the station in the morning. She did not want to wait and disposed of it after taking several photographs. A spokesperson for the Los Angeles police told the Times that the department had not heard of cases in which an air tag had been used to track a person or a vehicle. They apparently don't read the newspaper or anything. Uh, Apple, uh, but Ms. Estrada said that after she posted her TikTok video, an Apple employee acting on their own contacted her. The employee was, was able to connect the air tag to a woman whose address was in central Los Angeles. Another woman was notified by her iPhone that she was being tracked by an unknown accessory after leaving her gym in November. When she got home, she called the police. The woman, Michaela Klo of Corning, California, was told a report could be filed only if someone showed up at her home and that Apple's notifications were not enough proof that she was being stalked. She later got in touch with an Apple customer service representative who was able to disconnect the device from Ms. Klo's iPhone. The device was never found. I was terrified and frustrated that there was nothing I could do about it, Miss Close said, noting that she hadn't returned to her gym since. For a good week there, I just stayed home. AirTags and other products connected to Apple's location tracking network, called Find My, trigger alerts to unknown iPhones they travel with. The AirTag product page on Apple's website notes the devices are, quote, designed to discourage unwanted tracking, and that they will play a sound after a certain amount of time of not detecting the device to which they are paired. In June, after concerns about stalking were raised, Apple pushed an update to AirTags to cause them to start beeping within a day of being away from their linked devices, down from three days. Still, they don't beep very loudly, Ms. Galperin said. A person who does not own an iPhone might have a harder time detecting an unwanted AirTag. 
AirTags are not compatible with Android smartphones. Earlier this month, Apple released an Android app that can scan for AirTags, but you have to be vigilant enough to download it and proactively use it. Apple declined to, to say if it was working with Google on technology that would allow Android phones to connect, connect automatically and detect its trackers. People who said they have been tracked have called Apple's safeguards insufficient. Ms. Estrada said that she was notified four hours after her phone was first noticed, after her phone first noticed the rogue gadget. Others said it took days before they were made aware of an unknown AirTag. According to Apple, the timing and the of the alerts can vary depending on the iPhone's operating system and location setting. The device's inconsistencies have caused confusion for people who are not necessarily being tracked nefariously. Mary Ford, a 17-year-old high school student from Cary, North Carolina, received a notification in late October that she was being tracked by an unknown AirTag after driving to an appointment. She panicked as she searched her car. Ms. Ford realized it was not a threat only when her mother revealed she had put the tracker in the vehicle about two weeks earlier to follow her daughter's whereabouts. Quote, I was nervous about Mary being out and not being able to find her, said her mother, Wendy Ford. She said she had not intended to keep the knowledge of the air tag from her daughter. Quote, but uh, if I knew she would have been notified, I probably would have told her. <laughs> Jana Maramba re- rented a vehicle from the car sharing service Turo last month in Los Angeles, then received a notification about an unknown air tag near her on a Saturday night with her girlfriends. She took the vehicle to her friend's parking garage where she searched the outside of the car for an hour before its owner notified her that he had placed the device inside the vehicle. Miss Marumba had been driving the car for two days. A spokesperson for Turo said in a statement that the, the company had no control over the technology car owners use on the vehicles they rent out. Imagine finding a notification that you're being tracked, Miss Marambo said, and you can't do anything about it. Well, consider this a notification that you're being tracked and you can't do anything about it. It's okay. It's probably okay, right? It's probably okay. Don't worry about it too much. Here's a lovely story out of uh, hometown of the show, one of the hometowns of the show, uh, Detroit. This is in uh, the Sunday Styles front cover, bottom half of the fold, Sunday, January 2nd. <clears throat> Lose yourself in Mom's Spaghetti. Rapper to restaurateur, Eminem opened a place in Detroit. We checked it out by Luke Vinke, Detroit. On September 27th, a strange 30-second film appeared on Eminem's YouTube channel. Not a music video teaser or the first new verses of a new rap single, but a quick-moving advertisement. In the video, cartons brimming with marinara sauce spin hypnotically on checkered tablecloths. A voiceover rattles off vaguely Italian dishes, spaghetti, spaghetti and meatballs, and a skeddy sandwich. A scoop of pasta squeezed between two pieces of buttery white bread. Eminem, dressed in a thin gold chain and an eggplant-covered flight jacket, holds up what the viewer can only assume are two middle fingers, their message censored by twin takeout containers bearing the phrase, Mom's Spaghetti. 
Eminem, the man who brought white working-class angst to the top of the charts, was opening a restaurant. Two days later, the rapper, born Marshall Mathers, surprised fans at the grand opening in downtown Detroit, where he served heaping ladlefuls of pasta to a queue of customers that had snarked around the block. A photo of Eminem standing behind the order window, flipping the bird, of course, was quickly shot to the top of Reddit's front page. Mom's Spaghetti is named for the famed first verse of Lose Yourself, a single written for the movie Eight Mile that sold more than 10 million copies, earned Eminem a pair of Grammys, and earned Eminem a pair of Grammys in 2004. The lyrics are imbued with nauseating do-or-die dread. Our protagonist is locked in a bathroom, drenched with sweat, washing off a regurgitated wad of pasta clinging to his hoodie. Knees, quote, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, end quote. It was only a matter of time before the lyric became a meme. Nearly two decades later, the restaurant appears to be Eminem's way of embracing, or one-upping, the joke. On a visit to Mom's Spaghetti in December, three months after the initial fanfare, the place did not immediately register as a shrine to the rapper's career. Instead, I found myself at a small counter-service restaurant tucked in an alley next to the Little Caesars World Headquarters. Yes, the pizza chain. I perused the... Which is headquartered in... Detroit. Weird, weird parentheticals, but that's weird editorializing. I perused the abbreviated menu and placed my order at an outdoor cashier. Almost as soon as my credit card cleared, a steaming carb-laden paper bag was handed to me through the window. Afterward, I was escorted inside a gastropub called Union Assembly, where all of the food served at Mom's Spaghetti is prepared to a tiny suite of tables and bar stools where customers can eat. Here is where Slim Shady's aesthetic becomes apparent. Most of the E's on the menu and packaging have been turned backward, and the kitchen is made to look like a street corner bodega. I tucked into a booth, already overwhelmed, preparing for a long night in the afterlife of Eminem's cultural empire. Kurt Catalo, 54, is the owner, with Ann Stevenson of Union Joints, who operates several restaurants around Detroit, including this one. He described Mom's Spaghetti as a, quote, true joint venture, end quote, between his business and Eminem. The restaurant first appeared as a pop-up shop in 2017 and has been a fixture at the rapper's various festival performances since. During the pandemic, Union Joints and Eminem's Shady Records delivered the pasta to frontline medical workers. Mr. Catalo said the restaurant's busiest periods were post-game and pre-game, when the staff harvests customers from the foot traffic pouring through Detroit's pro sports district. Spaghetti is not typically deployed as takeout food. Noodles can take a while to cook, but Mr. Catalo's staff makes all the pasta a day ahead, then reheats the product in a pair of woks. He believes the, the method blesses the spaghetti with a delectable down-home texture. Today's spaghetti is better tomorrow, Mr. Catalo said. I'd ordered the spaghetti and meatballs, which were served in an oyster pail and covered with a snowy dusting of Parmesan, as well as a sketty sandwich. This is not Italian cooking, nor does it try to be. Instead, it might be best described as, well, downright motherly. The greasy slop of the pasta, the sugary tang of the red sauce. It's the spaghetti that emerges from your pantry on the last night before a grocery trip. Mr. 
Catalo said the noodles possessed an inscrutable leftover chemistry. He means that as an endorsement. <laughs> and he should. Eminem is not here. Nor should he be expected anytime soon, Ian McManus, 22, who manages the trailer, a merchandise shop above the dining area, told me. The rapper has dropped by the restaurant a handful of times since it opened. He only lets a few of us know when he's coming, Mr. McManus said, and he only lets us know day of. If he's coming through, I'll find out when I'm on my way downtown. A smattering of Eminem-themed pint glasses, t-shirts, and sneakers filled the room. But the, for the real pièce de... <laughs> but the real pièce de résistance was at the back. The Robin costume from the music video for Without Me, encased in glass. The sound was the soundtrack to the year I turned 10. Seeing a relic of it up close felt like being in the Louvre. Eminem has been famous and will remain famous for a long time, but it has, always, it has also been eight years since his last number one hit. Perhaps that's why he's preserved himself in a mini museum. The rapper is entering that vexing post-prime era that inevitably haunts down every enormously successful person. How should Eminem structure his third and fourth acts? Ideally, with some humor and some grace. If Paul Newman could sell salad dressing and enjoy his golden years, Maybe Marshall Mathers could do the same with spaghetti. After all, the Eminem brand is still strong, even now. Misty Jessie, 49, and her 15-year-old son, Romeo Jessie, were dining at Mom's Spaghetti that December night. Told me they grew up with Eminem, which sounds confusing, but is honestly quite plausible if you do the math. I saw him live at the old Detroit Tigers Stadium, said Miss Jessie, who had made the trip to the restaurant from the Dearborn Heights suburbs so that Romeo could shop for some Eminem gear. It's crazy how all circles, <laughs> it's crazy how it all circles back around. Romeo said, she was surprised that he was one of the first people I started listening to, adding, she's happy that we could bond over his music and sing along to it in the car. The Jessies are locals, which makes them outliers here. Almost everyone else inside the restaurant, save for the employees, was visiting Detroit for business, pleasure, or a combination of both. A trio of auditors from, the, from Atlanta crowded around a table glazed with spaghetti sauce. They were only in town for a few days, and they'd arrived at Mom's Spaghetti out of passive curiosity. The same gravitational force that pulls New York City sightseers into the Times Square Madame Tussauds. Interesting. Interesting comparison. Morgan Martin, 28, said that Eminem's 2010 album Recovery got stuck in her car's CD player when she was in high school. For 10 years, she exclusively listened to that record as she drove around Georgia. Her friends claim that the experience endowed her with the ability to rap with a near-perfect Eminem cadence. I've since gotten a new car that connects to Bluetooth, Ms. Martin said, so now I'm learning more of his work. For her, Mom's Spaghetti was a destination, when I learned we were coming to Detroit, I knew where we were going, she said. What she really said is I knew what we were eating, but... Her friend and di dinner date, Kaylin Hemi, 27, was not apprised of that plan. I didn't know this was Eminem's restaurant, she said from across the table. I just saw that they had vegan meatballs. John Ferran, a 32-year-old service en engineer from Orlando, had dined on the high-end Italian restaurant 
had dined at a high-end Italian restaurant the previous night. The experience, he said, paled in comparison to what Mom's spaghetti had to offer. Their sauce was like a soup, Mr. Ferran said. Plus, they didn't give you bread. He then gestured toward the caramelized chunk of starch half submerged in the noodles. It made the whole trip for us, pretty much, he said. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had anything to look forward to. No offense to Detroit, Mr. Ferran said. Great city. Mr. Catalo, the restaurant operator, said Mom's Spaghetti was planning on expanding its menu. Soon there will be bolognese sauce from a recipe Mr. Mathers has taste tested. I imagine the rapper, whose career, once defined by rage and controversy, letting a meat sauce linger on his palate for a moment before giving it his stamp of approval. Could Eminem become a latter-day Jimmy Buffett, bringing Mom's Spaghetti to tourist districts around the country? He declined to be interviewed for this article, so I can't say for sure. But I can tell you, with certainty, that on a cold night in Detroit, after scarfing down a pound of pasta, I felt changed. Knees weak, arms heavy. This this should be maybe this is the last one I have. Well, we'll see. Cannabis claims collide with reality. Marijuana marketers have high hopes for products, even if the science doesn't agree. By Valeria Safranova. The fit gummies look like standard marijuana edibles, orange squares, and it, with a sugar coat, sold in packaging that's a cross between the bright colors of a bag of candy and the sterility of a bottle of pain relievers. These edibles, however, promise something different. They won't make you high, but they will help you diet. Or, as the company that makes them puts it, they will help disrupt, quote, help disrupt unhelpful heating habit, eating habits and put you back in control of your diet, end quote. But the science behind these gummies is murky. Sold by Wana Brands, W-A-N-A, a a well-established edibles company, Fit Gummies are available only in Wana's home state, Colorado, for now. One of the ingredients is tetrohydrocannabivarin, known as THCV, which could be the next big thing in cannabis. THCV is one of the compounds found in the marijuana plant, but it does not appear to have psychoactive effects. Some studies have shown that THCV may have an effect on appetite and diabetes. Cannabis has long been associated with, quote, the munchies. So it is surprising to see a form of it sold as a diet aid. But fit gummies are less of an anomaly than they, have, than they may appear to be. As more states have legalized cannabis, companies that sell the drug have developed an increasingly wide range of products, many of which cater to modern society's desire for self-improvement. Today, the promises of marijuana marketing are... Oh, pardon me. Today, the promises of marijuana marketers are manifold. Cannabis can help with sleep, libido, focus, or sociability. It can start the day or end the day or prolong it. Wana's marketing materials state that the product's weight management benefits are proved by a 2021 clinical trial that was commissioned by its partner on the gummy, ECS Brands, and supported by the National Institutes of Health. According to Wana's website, 
the, quote, recently completed NIH-reported 90-day human clinical trial had found 100 out of 100 participants in the study lost weight without exercise or changing daily caloric output values, end quote. ECS Brands' informational sheet on the trial says it was performed under the guidance of the Mayo Clinic. Both the NIH and the Mayo Clinic said they have no record of the trial, nor is it registered on clinicaltrials.gov. Arthur Jaffe, the founder and chief executive of ECS Brands, insisted NIH was involved and called the discrepancy a, quote, paperwork issue. We have full confidence that everything we did is accurate and true, he said. The results have not been published in a scientific journal or peer-reviewed. Quote, Despite the lack of randomized controlled trials considered the gold standard for pharmaceuticals, there is very strong consumer demand for cannabis products that tap into the myriad potential benefits the plant can provide. Mr. Hennessy, the vice president for innovation at Wana Brands, wrote in an email statement. In the marijuana industry, the science, quote, the science is very far behind the marketing and the public consumption, said Margaret Haney the director of Cannabis Research Laboratory and co-director of the Substance Use Research Center at the Columbia University Medical Center. Companies have taken off with all sorts of claims, she says. From Ole Miss to New Bliss. As the market for marijuana ex- expands, 36 states have legalized medical sales of the drug and 18 have done so for recreational sales. Companies are devising new ways to attract customers. Where once smoking a joint met forsaking control and performing the psychological equivalent of throwing spaghetti at a wall, today today the experience can be measured and, according to many companies, even targeted. Dosist in California sells products with names like Sleep, Bliss, Arouse, and Calm. The idea, according to Anne-Marie Daxian, the company president, is that they're product can help a user function, quote, at an even better level. And quote, end quote. But the, also the reason that they say that is because they can't make any claims to anything specific because it's not a medicine, nor is it authorized by the FDA to treat anything. Well, we know why, but I mean, oh God. Very deceptive writing. Jason DeLand, the executive chairman of Dosist, said he saw the company's peers as other lifestyle and wellness businesses, like Peloton, the exercise equipment company, or Hims and Hers, the telehealth company. Despite branding language that features words like control, formula, and precise, Mr. DeLand makes no pretense at hard science. I'm not going out there and, well, this is a quote, I'm not going out there and working with universities and trying to get peer-reviewed science, he said. We're not working on a pharmaceutical research function with the FDA. Instead, the company collects survey data from users asking questions like, did you sleep? That feedback, how did you sleep? That feedback becomes a factor in how Dosis categorizes products. Oh, great. Cool. So we're using like, uh, it's like Amazon reviews to tell you like what weed does for you even though we just admitted that it was like throwing spaghetti at a wall previously and that there was no real way of tracking it and that everyone should just find out for themselves how it affects them. But I'll continue. Uh, Jason DeLand, 
executive chairman of DOSIS, said he saw the company's peers of their lifestyle wellness business like Peloton, despite control formula. Instead, the company's effects select survey data. The use of cannabis to treat a range of ailments stretches back before its recent legalization. For thousands of years, people have taken it for conditions like epilepsy, glaucoma, insomnia, nausea, and pain. According to an overview, I'd like to see the research on how it's been used for thousands of years in those ways for people who, I mean, they didn't even know what epilepsy, well, that's not true necessarily. According to an overview, but still, I'd love to see the research. According to an overview by Mark Antoine Crook, who studies the history of psychiatry and psychopharmacology at the University of Upper Alsace in Milhouse, France, mentions the cannabis, mentions of cannabis show up in ancient texts from India Egypt and the Roman Empire. Dr. Crook writes that Queen Victoria took cannabis for menstrual cramps and Empress Sisi of Austria found that it eased her cough. In recent years, supporters of marijuana legalization have harnessed the drug's medicinal narrative to further their cause. Exactly. And its legalization hasn't been limited to liberal-leaning states. Florida, yo, Arizona, and Utah allow sales of medical marijuana, which I am enjoying at this very minute. But despite being widely marketed as a medicine, cannabis has made few inroads with the Food and Drug Administration. Cannabis status as a federally illegal drug has made it difficult to test the plant's medical applications. The FDA has also said that consistency in quantity and dosing is a challenge with cannabis. The cannabis plant is made up from different compounds, including cannabinoids, which of which at least 125 have been identified. One is tetrahydrocabinol. Cabininol. <laughs> tetrahydrocannabinol or THC, was discovered in the 1960s and is, and is responsible for the psychoactive effects of marijuana. Another is <laughs> cannabidol, or CBD, a wellness industry darling that has been incorporated into food, drinks, dog treats, suppositories, and cog cosmetic products, and does virtually nothing compared to the real thing, but it does do maybe something. I mean, I, I tried it once before I got my card years ago, and... Um, Psychosomatic at best was my personal opinion, but that was my personal opinion. Um, so far, the FDA has approved only one drug that contains CBD, Epidolex, a product that treats rare seizure disorders. I've read about that. Apparently, it does work. Naturally occurring THC has no proof use. That hasn't stopped companies that sell cannabis from promising that their products will reduce anxiety, depression, inflammation, pain, and insomnia, in the case of CBD, all without getting the consumer high. But the research lags the promises. As a Schedule One drug, marijuana is seen by the Drug Enforcement Administration to have a high potential for abuse. The DEA categorizes drugs into five groups, depending on the drug's acceptable medical use and the drug's abuse or dependency potential. This long quotes. Marijuana is in a higher risk category than oxycodone, fentanyl, and Adderall. To study the drug, researchers have to obtain a Schedule I license from the DEA. Another challenge is sourcing. Before changes that come into effect in May, only one place could survive mar sur uh, only one place could supply marijuana for federally approved experiments, the University of Mississippi, which is paid by the government to grow and store marijuana. 
Quote, it's not what's being used by the consumer. It's government-grown cannabis that nobody uses, says Dr. Ariana Nelson, associate professor of anesthesiology and pain medicine at the University of California, Irving, Irvine. It doesn't accurately reflect the benefits or detriments of cannabis that's being used in states where it has been legalized. Dr. Nelson, who works at a state-funded university, said that it would be nearly impossible for her to get a cannabis study approved that wasn't epidemiological or safety-focused because of liability concerns alone. Companies would have to spend, quote, Companies would have to spend so much money to provide the FDA with everything they need, Dr. Haney said. They don't need to seem, mm, they don't seem to need to do that. They can jump in, say whatever they want, and make money hand over fist. Despite the lack of evidence of THCs and CBDs, curative powers, customers have flocked to products containing the cannabinoids. The global cannabis market was valued at $22 billion in 2020, according to Mordor Intelligence, a research firm and the creation location of the One Ring. Certainly, some portion of that market is made up of consumers who want to get high for fun. Uh, I would say that's probably most of them. But plenty of customers are also looking to solve medical ailments, sleep better, increase their libido, even out mood swings, or manage pain. Yeah. Yeah, somewhat. Some may turn to cannabis because of its prohibitive costs of certain medications. A lack of access to those medications or mistrust of the pharmaceutical industry, said Lucas Reichert, a historian of drugs and medicines at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the editor of Cannabis Global Histories. I'll have to read that. They want to use what they perceive to be more natural or organic products that don't emanate from what they perceive to be the pharmaceutical industry or mainstream medicine, Dr. Reichert said. Though there are studies that show that cannabis can help with certain medical conditions, the science is limited. For example, cannabis is often marketed as an analgesic, with some companies claiming it can substitute for opioids, but its effectiveness in treating pain is uncertain. Quote, especially with more potent cannabis, there is evidence that with higher quantities of THC, patients actually experience their pain in a more dysphoric way, Dr. Nelson said. There's a dose-dependent effect. There's a sweet spot that lessens pain, but the THC can also heighten the experience of pain. Um, the best way to describe that is as the pain levels aren't necessarily being reduced, but your way of thinking about the pain and processing it changes so that there is an X value there. It could go negative and reduce your pain, or it could go higher, increase your anxiety, increase your mental stress, thereby increasing the pain and ultimately creating the opposite of the situation that you want to create, which is, you know, uh, I mean, Anyone who's spent enough time around, around weed, medical marijuana, whatever you want to call it, knows exactly what I'm talking about. But that's uh, that's part of it. One day, researchers and doctors hope the science will catch up to the demand and consumers will be able to purchase cannabis knowing exactly how much to consume and what effect it will have. As much as you can and as often as you can. Is there a future in which people will be able to buy cannabis products that target specific needs? Dr. Nelson said, definitely. We should have it already. We would have it already if cannabis were rescheduled. 
You can quote me on that. I don't care if the feds come after me. It's ridiculous. The studies. Fit gummies from Wana Brands claim to target a type of receptor in the human body called CB1, which is part of the endocannabinoid system. The system was discovered in the early 1990s. Receptors in the network are influenced by cannabinoids, found both in the body and outside it, like THC and THCV. Overall, the system is evolved in emotional processing, sleep, pain control, and eating. Because the system is a recent discovery, there is still a lot to learn about it. To what extent, quote, to what extent the endocannabinoid system can alleviate physical or psychiatric conditions is still really poorly understood, said Amir England, a cannabinoid pharmacologist at King's College London. If you interfere with the endocannabinoid system, you might interfere with other systems. The cannabinoid THCV was discovered in 1970. Quote, THCV seems to be a neutral antagonist, said Roger Pertwee, one of the scientists who discovered THCV, the endocannabinoid system, and an emeritus professor at the Institute of Medical Sciences at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. This means that the THCV blocks off the CB1 receptor and prevents other cannabinoids from binding to it, but does not switch off the receptor's own background activity. Dr. Pertwee said that there was evidence in animal experiments that blocking CB1 could be effective in reducing obesity and reducing appetite. But there has been little clinical testing of this theory. What's very important, and I'm not sure it's done well enough, is that there are clinical trials done with any particular product to access its benefits and its risks and then you could say whether or not to allow it, Dr. Pertwee said. If you do experiments in mice and rats, that's one thing, but you need to do it with humans. This is not the first time a company has attempted to create weight management product by acting on the CV1 receptor. Ramonabont, a synthetic drug approved in Europe in 2006, was effective at causing weight loss and controlling blood glucose levels. It also led to side effects that included nausea, upper respiratory tract infection, depression, and suicidal, suicidal ideation, and was taken off the market in 2008. Mr. Hennessy of Wana Brands said that fit gummies did not cause the same side effects as Rimonbont. Wana and ECS and ECS Brands provided the New York Times with a research paper to support their claims. The authors listed on oh, the authors listed on it are Jason Hastings, the chief science officer at ECS Brands, and Alex Butner, a consultant who specializes in data technology and statistical analysis. Parenthetically, ECS Brands are provided Wana Brands with the cannabinoid concentrate that Wana Brands uses in the fit gummy. ECS Brands said that Melanie Montgomery and a company called Clinical Studies U.S. performed the trial. All right, Melanie Montgomery. The NIH has no record of either. A person with a slightly different spelling of that name, Melanie Montgomery, with an O instead of the way that you would assume it's spelled, registered the Clinical Studies U.S. website in 2016. The site says that the company has provided, quote, expertise to the Nobel Prize-winning team on intercellular hydration, end quote. The Times tried to reach Ms. Montgomery via, f- via phone and email to verify the information given by ECS. 
An unsigned email was returned by a person identifying themselves as Ms. Montgomery's assistant. And she said that we do not work with NIH, in quotes. That email also said that Ms. Montgomery had no affiliation with the Mayo Clinic. Asked to provide another example of work clinical trials U.S. has done, the email sender wrote, We do not own any of the studies that we perform, and so we do not have the rights to provide them to you. The experts interviewed for this article, including cannabis and pharmacology researchers and clinicians, spotted several red flags. For one, the paper claims that its study was sponsored by the National Institutes of Health, which the NIH denied. The paper makes no mention of ethical oversight and does not appear to have been approved by an institutional review board, a type of group that reviews clinical trials in order to protect the human research subjects. ECS Brands said in a phone call that the study was approved by a review board but would not provide additional details or confirm such information in writing. Experts also pointed out that the paper did not state whether the trial was conduct- where the trial was conducted or how subjects were recruited. And they said, the numbers seem too good to be true. In marketing materials, ECS Brands, <laughs> we may remember this. In marketing materials, ECS Brands says that 100 out of 100 participants who took this product lost weight. I've seen very few studies where everything works 100% of the time, Dr. England said. Scientists in the cannabis field see plenty of potential for the plant and for THCV in particular, but many medical and scientific experts say the marketing remains far ahead of the research, which means that companies are making promises about their products with little evidence. And Juana's fit gummies are no different, according to experts consulted for this article. This is contorting science to make money, Dr. Haney said. If it works, do the right study and publish the data. Let your peers review the findings. There could be something really interesting there. But I'm not buying this story. And you can extend that very idea to virtually, I don't know. I mean, here in Florida alone, I know that Virtually all our medical distributors um, have their own brands of products, Move, Vitacan, they all have their own thing. But they're all basically making the same thing, which if you look, uh, I am showing you a visual picture from my mind. It is a pair of gloved hands with a floating square, one of those square, thin gummy edibles with sugar on the outside of it. I'm sending this picture into your head. It looks sort of like, uh, I don't know, one of those orange slices, except it's square and stamped with like a brand name or something. I mean, those things, that is the very basis of the edible um, world right now. And um, in my mind, as a regular uh, marijuana consumer, a medical consumer, I would say that those do virtually nothing for anyone. Um, I've never felt any effects from them at all. And those are the ones with THC. And those aren't even, I mean, they're not weak. But they're really not doing much for you at all. I remain largely unconvinced of almost any permanent effect that marijuana has through the uh, edible uh, dosage vector or whatever they want to call it. Um, I'm sure it has some effects. I know that that's the way that it is typically given to children with epilepsy, and I know that that is extremely effective in in maintaining their um, situation. But uh, this, I just... um, I don't know. This is an example of if you've ever been into a marijuana dispensary and you've seen the 15 different names that they have for everything, even sometimes like things will have. Mm, listen, there's there's indica and there's sativa and there's hybrids that are like, you know, both the plants kind of clone together. 
but um, beyond that, in the broadest spectrum, all those strain names, in my opinion, in my many years of uh, consuming those products, uh, absolutely worthless. Means nothing. Even though I would say indica and sativa means largely nothing. Um, what they're doing to the plant to, to achieve higher THC uh, content or whatever other side chemical content they want in those plants or just for making sure that they grow properly at speed in the right conditions, etc. I think that's doing way more to the plant and the focus of breeding for chemical concentrations other than THC, what side products they might have, side benefits, none of that's being looked into at all. I mean, realistically, the only way that the products are changing at all is the product's overall quality is rising. You're having more actually like properly cured cannabis showing up in your products. And I would say that the THC levels are rising. Other than that, uh, and those two things basically are just, um, you know, that's just competition issues. Neither of those are, are, you know, a desire to improve the quality of the product. It's just because the competition has become so vast now at this point. I mean, it's there's there's an entire world, uh, there's an entire stock market based around investments solely in in cannabis culture now, a culture that doesn't even really exist. It's it's much like um, it's much like Uber or, or Tesla in the way that their investments are made. You're investing in like the future of their company, 10, 15, 20 years from now, or were at least with Uber, you know, if, a year or so ago when people were still wild about investing in that. But with Tesla, I mean, that's what this is. You're investing in the future of our product. You don't even know if it can be that. But what you're really doing is you're pouring money into the pockets of people who are now going to guide the destiny of that product to whatever they want, which means that at the end of the day, allowing this to exist, which is uncontrollable, you're going to end up with the marijuana industry that is much more vile and psychotic and backwards and has an excuse in health, all of this will be much worse than the tobacco industry at large. And I will say by the time that the uh, long-term health effects of inhalation of marijuana smoke and just, you know, any kind of vapor in general, by the time that we see any research come from that with provable scientific evidence, will be too late to matter for the first wave of people that are consuming these products for several waves of people that are consuming these products and things will not change until that time. So the only thing to do is, uh, I don't know, keep enjoying your weed products and um, think long and hard about um, what you allow in your body. Me, I allow uh, marijuana smoke in my body all the time. I absolutely love it. However, I think about it every single time I do and think about how I smoked for a bunch of years and how I'm just shoving a bunch of other crap in my body. You know, I quit drinking and I quit smoking and I used weed as a way to help me help myself get through the transition period. And now I'm just happy to be uh, the version of sober where all you do is smoke weed. But hey, it's better than taking pills and drinking. So I'm proud of myself. And losing 100 pounds also wasn't that much of a a downside either so i don't know i don't know about any of that i don't know about myself and i don't know about you but i do know one thing that i love this song and so you now will listen to it and love it as much as i do so enjoy your day go out there 
Um, you know, it's January 2nd, right? No, it's January 3rd. It's Monday, January 3rd. So you can go out there and enjoy the third day of the year doing whatever you want, which may or may not include listening to the first uh, few episodes of this podcast. But maybe it's going to your local library. Maybe it's uh, donating to your local food bank. Maybe it's um, listening to more of uh, this song. But uh, I don't know. That's up for you. Enjoy yourself. I'll see you uh, soon. We got married in a beaver, hotter than a pepper sprout. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. I'm going to Jackson. Around. Yeah, I'm going to Jackson. Look out, Jackson Town. We'll go on down to Jackson. Go ahead and wreck your hell. Go play your hand, you big talk, and then make a big fool of yourself. Yeah, go to Jackson. See if I can When I breeze into that city People gonna stoop and bow All them women gonna make me Teach them what they don't know how I'm going to Jackson You turn loose of my coat Cause I'm going to Jackson